With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a Heart and Hand production. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Stephen Gerrard, Evolution of a Revolution, the show that looks at Stephen Gerrard's journey from being appointed Rangers manager, untried at professional level, to being an undefeated league champion. My name's David Edgar and I'm joined on this journey as always by my colleague Stephen Clifford. Stephen, a wonderful, wonderful story so far. We've had ups, we've had downs, but... We're going to take a little pause right at the start of this episode because we've been going through the games and it is getting exciting and there's going to be fun times ahead in the show. But it's a year on, really, from where we are. January 2021, a year on from, I think, the moment of huge promise, the the victory at Parkhead, and then the subsequent collapse A lot had happened in Scottish football in that time. A lot had happened to all of us, I think, around the world in that time. But let's look at what the differences were in Stephen Gerrard and why there would be no repetition of that second half of the season collapse. Yeah, it's a perfect way to start episode six as we kind of look into it. And one of the reasons it's good to start here, David, obviously... You spoke to him um, weekly last year, obviously, press conference-wise, and there was, and you have commented before, a noticeable difference. So one of the things I wanted to put back to you was, as, as we kick off this show, is how was Stephen Gerrard different in your eyes as, as well as maybe our own eyes, but we've not quite realised it? Well, I thought that you could see, now, when I'm sitting there, I, I'm kind of, watching him you know you ask a question you get one question at a press conference you get one question um a face-to-face if you like press conference although obviously with covid we're all separated there's distance in between but you you don't really have a conversation as it were so you do get time to sit and observe and observe how he interacts with somebody and one of the things that Stephen Gerrard is that he is quite intimidating and by that I don't mean that he's offering everybody outside for a fight. Um, But he has that toughness, that aura, that I would compare to Walter Smith, and I know that you've you've spoke to Walter in the past, I'm sure all the listeners have seen interviews with Walter. Well, there's just an aura about him of of steel. But there was also, I thought, this year, increasingly as we got closer to it, a focus 
And he was very, very professional in all his dealings with the media. And I've heard it commented by older people within the media or people with more experience of it, that perhaps the setting, the the fact that it was a Zoom press conference, the fact that it was this kind of rigidly disciplined face-to-face press conference was a part of that, that the manager of other clubs in, in gone days will sit and we'll have a you know a joke and a laugh with the reporters and we'll sit with them for 20 minutes, half an hour. I can't comment on that. I don't think it had happened with Gerard. I don't think that was something that he particularly engaged in, to be honest. But he was all business and you could you could tell that from him that it was all about on to the next game now right this is what's just happened this is what i'm taking out of it to to analyze and this is what the next step is and i think it was almost and this is purely speculation on my part i i don't know only the people there will know but to me it was all the extraneous stuff of the previous two seasons he had learned what to separate from what mattered and I think that that's obviously an important step for any manager because there are so many things that get put in the path of a manager of a club like Rangers. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of things. And like in any job, when you're starting out, you don't know what you need to do and, and what are the ones that you can ignore and what are the ones that you can delegate whereas I think by season 2021 he did know that and I think that he was focused very much on these are the the things I want to focus on now whether Covid for all the the additional hassles that it brung and all the other problems that it brung I wonder if perhaps that there was a, an ability to simply just focus in on that. Of course, there's there's no crowds on match days. There's not as many people in and around the stadium. There was a kind of cold surgical aspect to the games. You know, the teams turned up. It was very, very organised. They went to what room they'd been assigned to. They got changed. They went out. All of these rules and regulations placed. They played the game of football. They came in. They did the press duty. Then they all went back in this very... Almost military way, Stevie. You know, it, it it was that planned. And and even going to the games, you know, you had to be at a certain point by a certain time. There were a lot of checks. You then had to go to a specific seat. You had to, you know, be in certain places at certain times. And I think that that played into the, the discipline of this Rangers side. And I think it came from the manager. I think that he, he had this laser-like focus last season. Um, and I think that particularly you saw in the old firm matches and in, in European nights where he was almost in a he was almost a kind of higher state of alertness you know um, that, that he was just attuned I thought right in on what he wanted, what he had to do, what the team had to do and I think that you saw that in the side and the way that it played, there was a precision about this Rangers team there was an ability to get the job done when it mattered. There was an ability to focus on what mattered and what was important. Uh, and you see that even in things like game management. There's quite a few 1-0 wins, 2-1s at times. And that, to me, is a sign of a side who are utterly focused on on the goal. And the way that this Rangers team won the title, by it basically ran in a straight upward line 
to that title, didn't it? It never stopped. It just, there's where we need to be. There's the top of the hill. Let's get there. And I do, I think that came from the manager. And, and perhaps it was, you know, experience. And just that ability that you get after a few months in a job, I think, or a few years sometimes, depending on the complexity of the job, that we'll all have experienced where you just know everything, don't you? You know where everything's kept. You know what the routine is. You know who to speak to about this or that or the other thing. And you don't remember where you learned all that. It just suddenly is something that you know. And I got that impression last year from from Stephen Gerrard that here was a guy that there was nothing at all clouding his vision. You know, he he knew what he wanted and he knew how to get there. And he just was then taking all the steps to actually get there. The reason I asked that, David, is I think it's perfect for where we are in this point in the show that we're just off the back of having beaten Celtic at New Year. The previous couple of seasons where that's happened, we've seen a very emotional Steven Gerrard at both full time. Um, obviously, he'd been accused of over-celebrating the year before, which hindsight is always a wonderful thing. Again, this time, having beaten Celtic 1-0, where we left last left off the, the last show, there was none of that. Straight away, and I went back and I looked at this, and, and I was right in, in what I thought, that straight away in the press conference afterwards, he was, he was well, we've got eight days now, and next up is Aberdeen. The focus and determination in Steven Gerrard, and, and that's why I wanted to ask you, because you're obviously there. I, I'd lat- latterly, um, towards the end of the season, start of the season, had spoken to Gerrard a few times in press conference, and noticed there was a steely determination and focus that hadn't been there before. And I think that's really important to point out that that, to me, has come across to the team. Because even when you spoke to you know, Goldson, Tavernier, whoever it was that was doing the Rangers television, it was always the focus was, is on next games. Um, and particularly the run that we were just about to embark on in January, you know, Celtic were about to go to Dubai that was supposedly going to refocus them having won the We Give Rangers a, a Game for 20 Minutes Cup, <laughs> which is, you know, we, we both know that that's what the press were going for. Um, we had away trips to Aberdeen, Motherwell and Hibs, um, and it was a difficult spell for us. But the focus, I think, came from the top, and I think it's really important in this show as we track Gerard's journey that there is a noticeable difference I think what happened the season before in terms of Hearts and Hamilton, etc., and where, where that season left off has realigned Stephen Gerrard, so to speak. He was no longer Stephen Gerrard morphing from player to manager. It was now Stephen Gerrard, manager. This is a job. We're going to do this job, and it's 100% focus on that. I think that you're, you're spot on, and I think that that distance that you need to get from the players, something that Walter was absolutely the king of, uh, that you you can maybe sometimes feel for them a bit, you know, too much, perhaps. Uh, it's very difficult not to. And, and for a guy who had you know, been a professional footballer for 20 years and, you know, had, had been through every emotion the game could offer... I, of course, sometimes you're going to to identify with the players, whereas I think as a manager, you don't really have that that time to do that. I think that you need to think of them almost as like a group of chess 
pieces that need to be manipulated, moved, and put in the right the right spot. And I think he was better at that last season. Um, again, as you say, I think he took the time to to learn. Here's another thing I'd like to throw into it though, Stephen. I think he trusted the squad more. Last yeah, season. I, yeah. I think you know, combined with his own. I do think realignment, I think that is, um, I'm taking that as my word of the day, David. Hmm. It's realigned his focus and his determination. But also, you throw into the factors that, you know, we've got a wee bit more to discuss in, in terms of the players, but there was definitely a maturing and, and a peaking of, of guys like Tavernier, Goldson, um, Jory, Bojanis Hadji, Kamar Roof at, at certain spells, not to mention... Ryan Kent, Alfredo, you know, there's so many of them, but they all hit peaks at mm. certain times, which I think carried us on. But the, the reason, you know, that we kick off there is obviously this show is predominantly about Gerard and his journey as well as his team. But the other way, the other thing I was thinking there while you were speaking in terms of Gerard and being that steely focus, which he spoke about, was how much fun it is when you get Gary McAllister in front of a press conference and the atmosphere is completely different. And I don't yes, mean that is. in a bad way. I just it's mean just a fact, yeah. That, yeah. So you get the steely determination and very Walter-like um, presence of Stephen Gerrard, which I completely agree with. And anybody that's there, and you'll know this, it's bloody nerve-wracking speaking to the man because he's su- he's got such aura and and, and it's Stephen Gerrard. Mm. Whereas with Gary McAllister, who's got equal equal presence and equally such a big star. Was a hero of mine. You've you've seen obviously the pictures of, of me and Gary Mack together, etc. I was fortunate enough even to referee him, David, which was a huge wow. huge moment. Yeah, there was a, a preseason friendly thing about four or five years ago, and they got a, a bunch of ex players all together up at Airdrie, and Gary Mack was playing, um, and it was phenomenal. He, I spoke to him before and after, and he was such a, a nice guy. But the difference when you get him in front of the press com- conference, it's more relaxed. He likes a joke. Um, he's 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 very pleasant and and very very good etc. That's not to say that Stephen Gerrard isn't, but there's just there's a difference between more relaxed Gary McAllister and more focused and more driven Stephen Gerrard. And the reason why, again, I'm, I'm kind of repeating the reason why I've started here and, and we wanted to talk about this is I think this is really important to kind of set the scene of how it's been different from Gerrard at this point. Because what happens next is Rangers don't stop. They keep going and we just build on. And I think that reflects what was happening under Stephen Gerrard as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that is a good point. Um, it, it is hard to identify quite why it's different because it's the exact same scenario. You're sitting there at your, at your screen or you're sitting there in, in your seat and it's... Gary McAllister sitting in the other seat as opposed to Stephen Gerrard. When Stephen Gerrard comes in, there's there's a, an edge in the atmosphere because firstly, you don't know what kind of mood he's in. And occasionally he will sit and laugh and joke, but that's rare. Uh, more often, he's focused, he's on it, he's very careful in how he chooses his words, which is understandable for a guy who's growing up in the, in the spotlight and is aware that his words get picked over. I don't think Gerard says anything that isn't intended to... If he says something that causes a stir, I've always thought it's because he wants it to. I think he's aware. In fact, I would guarantee he's aware of the import 
of of when he says something and, and the the weight that it carries. Whereas Gary McCarthy will come in, sit and have a laugh. He'll he'll keep you on at the end of a press conference, you know, sit and chat away and ask you what you think of a game that's coming up between, you know, Liverpool and Man United, for example. And that that's not something Stephen Gerrard would do. And at times there's almost an impatience with, with Stephen Gerrard uh, about, you know, let's get this done, I've got work to do. And you can you can tell that it's it's very much, but you need that balance. You know, Walter Nally. You need that balance. You need to have, I think, the distant leader, and you need to have the the kind of approachable second in command. I think a lot of workplaces work that way. Yeah, I would agree I with that. Balance. I think seeing a point you made there. Sorry to kind of over talk over you. I'm not meaning to, but a point you made there about what Stephen Gerrard says. I've said this before. I think that Stephen Gerrard is really meticulous. And what he says. So when, like you just said there, I completely agree. When he's got something to say and he wants it to carry weight, he knows perfectly how to deliver it and how how to get the reaction that he wants. So I think that's. I, I think he's. I think he's grown into doing that even more throughout his journey as well. Yeah, I think that in the first couple of seasons he might have made that. You know, a throwaway remark here or there. Uh, and then saw the reaction that it get, and you're right. I think that he has. I think he's always known because of who he is. But I think as well that Glasgow and the crazy focus that's on everything that the Rangers manager does, uh, I think has has further, if you like, almost sharpened that instinct of his to to do that. And you're very aware in the press. He's terrific at telling you exactly what he's decided to tell you before he goes into the press conference. Um, and politicians, the top politicians are good at this as well, that you can ask them any question, but you'll get the answer they've decided you're getting. And there's nothing any interviewer can do to, to break that because they're masters of it. And I think he's somebody who has that ability. I also think that in the first couple of seasons, he had his guys, right? He had these guys that he trusted. And the converse of that was, I think it kind of came across that there were guys that he didn't trust because there would be players who would be playing when they maybe weren't quite fully fit. There would be players playing when they were maybe not quite in form. And to me, and this is just as a, a layman and outsider looking in, that was because he thought, well, I trust you to go out and deliver for me to do what I want you to do. And I don't necessarily trust the guy behind you to come in and do what we, what I expect, what I need. I think that changed last year. I think he looked at his squad and you mentioned names there, Hadji, Ruth, Itton even, uh, that he looked and he said, actually, no, this year I have guys that I'm happy to bring in, Balogun. Guys that can come in and give me exactly what I I get from my, my first picks. And I think that that was huge for the whole squad when I think they realised that there was this extra quality. Um, I think we would all agree that Hadji and uh, Ruth, for example, are guys who had great spells and at other times weren't quite as on it. But you look at their contribution and goals and assists from the pair of them. That's the dip. Alfie was doing what Alfie was doing last season, the previous two seasons. You know, Ryan Kent was not quite to the same level, but Ryan Kent was there and contributing. There's this 
load more goals and more assists from these two guys. And that's just a, a huge difference maker. Suddenly we had the weapons that we maybe didn't have in seasons one and two. Suddenly we had the bench. Suddenly we had guys who, who could come in for different matches. And I think that was reflected throughout the squad. And then the realisation, which we talked about in a previous show, which was that this squad realised, hang on, we are good enough. It's it's not ability. It's not that they're better than us. It's it's us. If we perform to our max, then we're going to win this title. And I think that as the season progressed, that became clear. And trust is a word we've used a lot today. I think there was trust in the manager of the squad, but I think there was trust of the squad in the other players that if I do my job, I know that he or him or him will produce at the other end. You know, if I keep a clean sheet, one of them will get a goal. And conversely, if I get a goal today, if we create something, they'll keep a clean sheet at the back. And I think that was huge. That was enormous. It was just a side that that realised we can do this. We are more than good enough to do this. And then once that that belief had just seeped through the squad, there was no stopping them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that is 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 completely correct. I think Europe had a lot to do with that as well. Um, they had a lot of of huge moments, victories that we've already pinpointed that have brought them to this point as well. We'd have given them massive massive um, belief in their self, and I, I do. I'm really glad we've we've started and and we've spoke about Gerard first before we we go on because obviously now. The January in front of us, we had Aberdeen up next. The, there was no January break. We then had um, Motherwell, Ross County, ending with, with Hibs away. So three out of the next four are, are probably as tough as you're going to get away games, especially on the back of a, a big result um, at home to Celtic. So we go up to, to Pataudry, David. Uh, it's 2-1, but it's not it's not anywhere near a 2-1 game. We, we uh, thoroughly in control win a penalty which which Tav misses, they're down to 10, Alfredo then takes control, two lovely finishes and and for some reason, um, it didn't happen a lot last season but we, I, I don't know if you remember this as well as I do, but we, we hunted for a third goal which wasn't really necessary, we spoke about this before and hmm. we got caught massively at the back yes. um, and then we did what we were so good at and we just closed shop and, and, and won a game that was close but we were in relative control and very comfortable in and that again was another box ticked and we were often running on the next part of the stage and little did we know by that point we were only four or five games away from the title actually being confirmed yeah that that was the thing because as well as what we were doing there was the the collapse of celtic which we'll touch upon um well the further collapse of celtic um which we'll touch upon later in the show. So we, as Stephen said, we had quite a tricky month in prospect. Um, we went up to Aberdeen for a very strange game, as it turned out. Um, Rangers in the first half, we get a penalty. Aberdeen of a man sent off. We miss the penalty, but then Alfredo pops up. A couple of great goals. Rangers are an absolute easy street against 10-man Aberdeen. Somehow contrived to give away a dreadful goal um, to make it 2-1 at... See the game out relatively easily, to be honest. Aberdeen don't really threaten us. But, of course, you are always thinking, oh, God, we're going to... Because there was a two-each at Pataudry the season before. Yep. Where yep. Rangers had been absolutely brilliant for an hour. 
and then it had just fallen apart. But no, Rangers get the victory. Disappointing performance in the next match. We go to Motherwell, uh, 12 o'clock kickoff, which I've mentioned before, I think Rangers are hopeless in. Um, seems to take us at least half an hour to start playing. It's a case here, Motherwell taking early lead, and Rangers aren't really doing anything. But luckily we have the hammer of Lanarkshire, Cedric Hitton, <laughs> who comes on and, of course, gets a goal, um, which preserves the unbeaten record. This was the game, though, Stephen, that I thought, yeah, we dropped two points, and of course there's the, the mumping and moaning that, that will always happen when Rangers drop points. But I remember really thinking, it doesn't matter. You know, we're so far ahead. And again, we'd mentioned Celtic. Celtic were playing these games in hands. Uh, there's the first one back. They draw one each with Hibs, last-minute goal. And you thought, they're not, you know, they need to win every game. And they're not going to. They, they can't. Now, I think the fear really that, that came about, if you analyse this from a neutral point of view, which people, for example, down south did, and they were going, ah, Rangers have won in the league. That even if Rangers had collapsed, there was no indication that Celtic were going to to, to pull it back. These The, the much-fated three games in hand that they counted the nine points off, they, they took one point from those three matches. Um they they really couldn't get they they drew with Livingston uh, twice they they lost at Ross County, but there was I think after that one one draw just a fear and I think it came from the fans because we were having a whale of a time Rangers fans, understandably after ten years of this, the Rangers fans were how can I put this taunting Celtic supporters and reveling in their their, their misery and anyone who's on social media will know that Rangers fans were loving it, just absolutely loving it and then occasionally you would say, see if we do bugger this up, it's going to be, I'll need to leave the country, you know, because I've I've gone to town on Celtic fans you know, I've, I've, I've if they were somehow to, to bring it back, I, I would need to, to move to a desert island somewhere with no Wi-Fi but that was us. It wasn't the team. The the team weren't showing any signs of shaking. I think they proved that by going to Easter Road, tough ground. You said it on one of the previous shows, Hibs were our toughest opponents last season. I would agree with that uh, overall. It's a, a tight game. And Rangers get the victory with an Alfredo Morelos goal in the second half. Again, brilliantly see the game out, the game management at the end. Another three points ticked off, tricky game, and you thought, we're not going to collapse. And even if we did, they're not going to win every game. Um, and I must admit that by January, by this match against Hibs, where we've had these three away matches, we've taken seven points out of nine, they've taken two out of the nine that, that they'd played for in that time. I knew, I absolutely knew we are going to win this league. Yeah, I think it, it became clear. And even those of us who didn't want to admit it or didn't want to put anything on social media and things like that, Rangers kept ticking boxes, David. And I think that was that's really important. If we journey slightly back, um, you know, Motherwell, I was the same as you. I was like, look, yeah, it's dropped points, but sometimes it's a point gained. I don't think we were overly good that way, but we had got to the point in the season where... You know, we were 20-odd points clear 
and everybody was was fairly fairly relaxed. We were very good at home to Ross County. Um, scored you know five wonderful goals. Hibs was a big one. I think once Hibs was out the way, I think everybody was counting down. People were saying, "Look, it's it's three wins at that point," and and that's how big a result it was. And that spoke volumes for our season, Easter Road, David. I think in in terms of key moments and key games. It underlined everything we were about. We were very resilient. We were very solid. We controlled the the ball, defended very well. Hibs didn't have any opportunities in that game, having watched it back um, a couple of times. Rangers then began to grind the opposition down, which we became really good at last season, David. The amount of 1-0 games, I think there were seven or eight 1-0 games throughout the season. We we ground teams out, we, we grind them down. We don't sometimes we don't start well or we don't start or they come at us or whatever, that's fine. But we eventually overpower them. We there's a belief in how we play, which is different from previous seasons. There's no panic. There's no there's no wonderment of where this next moment or, or panic about what's going to happen next. There's a general control and self belief from the team. I feel that when I watch them I was always confident in where we were going and what we were going to do. And Easter Road was such a a, a strong kind of indicator of, of where we'd been this season. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. No, definitely, because these were games that Rangers did drop points and they mount up. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you that would have been a game we would have drawn. Pitodri was a game the previous year we drew. Um and they all mount up. That suddenly, you know, instead of taking yeah, that, that Motherwell game was the the first points we dropped. Uh, it made it forty. Straight wins, yeah, yeah. Fifteen straight wins. It made it forty six out of forty eight. Previously, Rangers would have been getting thirty six, thirty seven. Not a lot of defeats, perhaps, but the odd silly defeat. Certainly, plenty of drop points, and it mounts up. and And this was something our our colleague Martin Ramsey talks about: scoreboard pressure, which is that for the first time in a decade, Celtic looked at the the league table and thought we, we can't afford to lose and that clearly got to them as it had done with us in the past when you start going into games and you are needing snookers basically when you go around we, we, the first assumption you need to make is we're going to win all our games right uh, and even at that we need them to lose there 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 and there you know that when you get to that stage we know in our hearts it's done yeah. really you know you keep flying the flag and you never give in and occasionally you know a medical happens but there's a reason we remember helicopter sunday the way we do because it doesn't happen that often you know arsenal in 98 coming from 12 points behind man united it doesn't happen that often and i think that we'd built this lead and said to celtic go on then can you can you match us and if it's if it'd been neck and neck, and we dropped a bunch of silly points, I believe Celtic probably would have come through because they would have relaxed and they would have played their football. And it, it, it's it, it happens too often in football that it, it's not a factor that the the games that they were drawing they would have won before the games that we were winning we would have drawn before and 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 it was a complete one eighty and it was a changing of the guard and you mentioned there. Crucial 1-0 victories were not playing well. There's a couple of these coming up. Um, the first one is against St Johnston at home. 
Rangers aren't sparkling that night. St. Johnson very well organised, very tough to break down, unfortunately, as we'll find at Turkos. Yanis uh, uh, Hadji scores a wonderful goal to get us a victory. Then comes, I think, our worst league performance this season, even worse than than Livingston. Uh, away to Hamilton Ackies, who would end up relegated, who are not a good side, who Rangers had put eight past. And Rangers are awful. Alan McGregor is by far our man of the match. Rangers just do not get going in the slightest. Get a goal with five minutes to go. Um, should be done. And then literally with the last kick of the ball, concede a goal. Alan McGregor comes out in the interview afterwards and slaughters the rest of the team deservedly. Uh, we were awful, really, really bad. Um, just a dreadful performance. I mean, there's no there's no getting away from it. It was just a terrible, terrible performance from Rangers that day. The only thing you can say is we got out without losing the undefeated record. However, we then have Kilmarnock uh, in the next match. They're fighting for their lives at this point under Tommy Wright. It takes a wonder goal, a genuine wonder goal from Ryan Jack to get us it, where balls drop to the edge of the box. He takes one touch to flick it up and then lashes it into the top corner from 25 yards. A stunning goal. One of my goals of the season. Roofs is the goal of the season. And yeah. the Defoe's versus Livingston is up there. But this one, under normal circumstances, I think, would have would have been in the running. Um and we we then pick up a bit of form, smash Dundee United four one. Um and then Europe's back. And Europe's back against Antwerp. And that game in Antwerp, Stevie, is one of the craziest football matches I've ever seen in my life absolutely wild game of football. Alfredo Morelos that night was spectacular. One of the best leading the line performances you'll ever see from a striker. Terrorised that defence, scoring, involved in all the goals, and they just, they, they couldn't they couldn't cope with him. Like you said, it, it was, it, it was a, a really, it was a wild night um, in terms of Rangers done what they'd done maybe against Benfica at home. Defensively, they were they were pretty much all over the place. They they go out and and take a lead and on the stroke of half time we're one 0 up and then some crazy moments on the stroke of half time we find ourselves two one down, and you're starting to think, right, okay, so we're asking questions of this team again, David. But they they answered them superbly. A couple of penalties from Borna. You know we get pegged back again, but that that was the night. As you said rightly, Alfredo Morelos, we scored, I think, nine times against Antwerp over the course of the two matches. And he, despite only scoring one, was involved in the first eight goals, which is incredible. He, at this point, David, so he had the goals up at Pataudry. He had the moment where um, he produced the the run which got Beaton sent off at Celtic. He produced the run that got... um, the boy um, Hedges sent off at Aberdeen and then scored the goals. He scored the vital goals against Hibs and then he does this against Antwerp. So Alfredo, for me, was having his purple patch, which comes on the back of him getting his goal at St Johnston, which kick, uh, St Mirren, sorry, David, which kicks him on again. So he was in his best form. But overall, I really enjoyed these fixtures because they were very open. They, they gave it a go. We, we love to play counter-attacking football and they they were perfect for us, and, and we were we were good over the two legs. Ryan Kent scored a, a spectacular goal out there. He plays a lovely one two to to bring it back to three three. And he'd been under a slight moans about Ryan Kent going into that game from supporters. There, I remember 
Ryan Kent was a wee bit. Um, Ryan Kent for me was consistent seven out of ten all throughout the season. I think he's people expect him to do. Yeah, he know, gets held to a higher standard because yeah, we know but, what he's capable of. Yep, but there was points in in the season where Ryan Kent went four, five, six games, nine out of ten. Then he came back down to sevens, but he, he produced some spectacular moments, Ryan Kent. And I think that he's now in a position where, and if you look at you know we'll come to the Celtic games which finished the season. Teams are terrified of Ryan Kent now. That's slightly that's that's for a, a kind of conversation I think to come on the on the podcast. But overall, these ties against Antwerp they were really enjoyable. And of course, David, we were in the we were about to hit another COVID moment from from the squad, which um, as as we come to the the home leg, you know, young Nathan Patterson comes back and the team scores a good goal. Kent again, couple of penalties, Barisic and Itten and things. So, all in all, we're beating a team like Antwerp, and I don't want to say easily, but you and me have we've discussed this before about you know Walters teams in the nineties and and Advocat and Alex McLeish and things, and not. I don't want to call Antwerp a jobber side from Europe. They're not because but they're you know, not. They're in the they're last not. thirty-two of the, the Europa League. Yeah, but we treated them like that. Yeah, but which we, is the yeah, massive we difference. We didn't over-respect them, nor did we underestimate them. You know, I exactly, remember yeah. teams like Auxerre and stuff and Grasshoppers. Um, that I think are, are some of the biggest scarring. If it's Strasbourg's another one that that, yep, that leaps to mind. Um, but. Uh, this is a Rangers team that were scoring what eight, eight, nine goals in a tie, uh, the last thirty-two tie in the Europa League. I remember there were seasons where a Rangers team would get eight goals in Europe, <laughs> and and yep. and here we are going out and banging them in. And it was the manner of it. It was the way we performed. It was the the skill. Some of the goals you mentioned, Ryan Kent's goal in Antwerp. I mean, just sensational. And to watch a Rangers team producing this level consistently was was thrilling and something that I hadn't really seen before in my time. You mentioned there the 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 second COVID incident. You know, obviously Jones and Edmondson club had accepted straight away. It was their fault. Uh they you know they'd gone out, they should have known better, particularly, you know, Jones is no daft boy excuse. Took it, accepted the punishment straightforward, you know, apologies, players punished, players both put out on loan, and that was that was the end of it. There was no mitigation offered by the club. This was slightly different, and I'll admit to initially overreacting, and I think a lot of fans did, and I honestly don't blame us. You know, I'll, I'll reproach myself when I've done something, uh, something, you know, wrong. I will admit it. I will hold my hand up. And in this case, I will say I was wrong. But my reasons, I think, are understandable, which was we were so close to it. And anything at all that could have that could have taken us off our path at that point freaked me out. And I know I'm not alone in this. I know that thousands of people were exactly the same. Um, when it all... You know, comes out. They they do all end up getting a ban, which I think is was always going to be the case. But Rangers' argument, which was I think legit, there's a difference between guys going out to a party with strangers and a a few young boys who live together 
who trained together getting together to you know watch a I think it was boxing um and and order a takeaway it was stupid it was daft but it wasn't in the same and I would agree with us it's not in the same category as knowingly heading out to a party with strangers you know to to meet girls basically I think there was a difference and they were they were daft but I don't think they were malicious I'm not sure that yeah I'm not sure that same thing could be said of the other guys who had to know that they were doing wrong um but I thought the club handled it correctly. And what we do see in this stage, of course, Stephen, is the emergence of Nathan Patterson. And to come from such a low and finish the season the way he did, augurs really well for his future. Yeah, a couple of things on that. One, I completely agree with you. And I would have been the same, David. I can't quite remember um, what what was said. I don't think there was a massive um, overreaction. I would think that everybody was, was scared the way you are, but I don't, I don't recall everybody kind of reacting the way they did to, to Jones, etc. But I would agree. I think there is a difference. And when it came out, I think the club handled it well. Um, you know, obviously, they, they suspended the boys straight away and, and and we dealt with it properly, which was which was obviously good to, to see them handling that. But the other good thing was as well that I like, Nathan Patterson, don't remember if you remember, would speak about this. And he said that Stephen Gerrard got him in the office and basically said, look, you know, I've been a young boy, we all do daft things. Um, it's about what you do for me now, which I think is another great example of, of where we are in, in Stephen Gerrard, who has now progressed from player to complete manager in terms of being able to put his arm around a young boy and say, look, you have been stupid, you've let yourself down, you've let the club down, but where are you, what are you going to do for me now? Mm. And that was a massive moment for Nathan Patterson because it's it's sink or swim time a wee bit for Nathan in terms of how's my Rangers career going to go. Mm. And it turned out that within one minute of his next game, <laughs> he would score and everybody had forgotten. But to have the mental capacity to... He, he would come on out in Antwerp, I think, if memory serves me right, and have a really good second 45 minutes after a kind of tough... Because Tav, Tav went off after about 15, 20 minutes if I remember out in Antwerp and Patterson came on he was terrorised a wee bit but had a really solid and really good second half and he's then taken that on to the to the home leg came on scored a good goal as well so it was really really promising he then would flourish we we know that he's he's a he's an outstanding talent but the key for me in that, David, is this is obviously about Gerard and why we're looking at it, but he's been able to sit down with a player, turn a negative into a positive, leave him with a situation of, well, I trust you 100% and the club are behind you, you're going to be punished. But he's also then put the emphasis back on Patterson by saying, right, what are you going to give me now because I'm standing by you? So I need this, this show of faith returned. And that's how, you know, I think that's brilliant man management because he then... You know, Nathan Patterson kicks on, ends up, you know, a league winner, goes to the Euros and everything. We know his story. And uh, and is, is now looking at one of the most positive right-backs I've seen, you know, 20, 30 years. I don't think that's unfair to say. He, he's certainly the best since Alan Hutton. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, best, best talent we've brought through since, since Hutton. You know, yeah, absolutely. But it's uh, the man management, David, to, to get that out of him, you know, to, to, to get that negative situation. Turn it into a positive. We're standing by you. Now give us that back, which he then takes on. I think that's brilliant from Gerard. Yeah, and, and and like I say, I think that, yes, they both 
both incidents breach COVID, but I do think there was a difference. They are different, absolutely. They are different, and I do think that there's a a level of of thought that went into one that that didn't go into the other. Um, in terms of you had to know what you were doing in the first instance was wrong. You were going to a party, you know. So that is different. Be guys you work with, train with, live with, um, but. Rules are rules, and, and we understand that. But you're right. I think after the initial, oh my god, they're going to stop the league, and we're not going to win it. That you're right. Everybody calmed down and went. Actually, it's not as bad um, as all that. And we got back into the season. And then it's amazing how quickly things can happen, isn't it? It's amazing sometimes something you've been building towards, and then it just picks up momentum right at the tail end and, and this is what happens here because at the start of the week um I started saying to people we're gonna win the league this weekend. I just had a feeling I don't know why. Sixth sense, intuition, too much back medication, whatever it was. Uh <laughs> I, I just had and people saying, No, we can't win it this week. I'm like, no, no, we can and we're we're gonna um we're we're gonna win our two matches and they'll lose. I was wrong there, they dropped they drew but um, at the weekend because they want it over and done with uh, psychologically. Now, I'm sure they wouldn't be able to admit to this, but um, I'm not sure consciously they knew it themselves. I'm like, Celtic want this done. They do not want us to win the league at Parkhead and they don't believe that they could stop us winning the league at Parkhead. So we take on Livingston on the Wednesday night. Typical game over there at the, the Tony Macaroni. Um you know, Rangers trying and trying and trying to get the goal. Stout defence by Livingston. And listen, I, I, I don't have a problem with Livingston. I mean, I wouldn't want to watch them every week, but Livingston give the same level of performance against Rangers as they do against Celtic. And that's all you can ask. You know, I think they play to their strengths. Yeah, they, they do, but they're not a side who have... You know, I think if any analyst was to look at, for example, Aberdeen's record against Rangers and Celtic over the years, he would think that there was... A betting syndicate involved in it because it's it it defies it, it defies mathematical uh, analysis and I know it seems to annoy Aberdeen fans when you say this but it, we just go in results that you fight your hearts out against Rangers and you don't turn up at all against Celtic that isn't the case with Livy they they give everything in games against Rangers and Celtic and and you can't ask any more than that um, might not be fun to watch but as you say. Who do you think their fans care if they've picked up a result? And it's a tough, tough game. But Rangers just keep going. They'll determine. And a draw won't be the end of the world. Can I just point out for the biggest um, of uh, wetting of their underwear of the season, uh, one of our podders, Stuart McCall, who gets a wee bit overly involved in the game, with 10 minutes left, said to, said to me, we're going to throw away two points again. And I went, we've dropped six points all season what do you mean again <laughs> and we're not throwing away points just a tough game uh but Stephen davis driving force we spoke about that against motherwell he he goes forward and again another crucial we touch from cedric hitton um set up a chance for Stephen davis keeper palms it away but there's alfredo he tucks it in and we win the game and then and then st Marin at ibrox on the seventh of March, we we Rangers, can't we can't get to that quite yet, David, because 
I have to I have to interject slightly on the Livingston game, um, if you don't mind, if that's okay. Go on. If you remember, Alfredo was denied a Stonewall penalty. Oh, and got on, booked, yes. You're on right. the 30, 37th minute. And he, he got taken out and he gets cautioned for diving. That leads to Gerard getting sent off for half-time for basically asking what was it for, John Beaton, you know, do not question me, etc., so we have the very famous um, quote from Gerard afterwards. Don't worry about Alfredo. He's in there with his top off singing Sweet Caroline. Which I think then sets everybody up on social media. We're already on a high. We're already excited. And I think then, David, that sets us up for the next you know, two, three days. Level of excitement. I remember posting... After that Livingston game, just at night, you know, we always kind of post after, I know obviously Hartman, do you do as well, you know, a wee bit, and all I said was, we could win the league this weekend. And like you, there was a real belief. I didn't for one minute believe that they would want us to go to, to Parkhead with the possibility of winning the league there, because we would have. Mm. I, don't, I was like you, I was convinced. So, only slight, David, and I say that because it was such a funny moment in terms of of where we were in the season, um, Alfredo and, you know, Stephen Gerrard's ability again to turn a negative situation into a positive, kind of uplifting one. They're trying to get him to come out and, you know, slaughter the, the ref or say something. And he just, you know, he just bats it away. Listen, don't worry about Alfredo. You know, so it was a, a brilliant moment. And then, as you said, it's St Mirren. Well, just before we get to that, uh, again, we moan about referees a lot on Heart and Hand to the point that people have actually complained to us about it. So stop going on about referees. Um, and my point is, I accept, believe it or not, I do. I accept the odd bad decision. It happens. It's the law of averages. And there will be times we get decisions that I go, oh, we bit fortunate there. In the case of someone like John Beaton, now you're a you're a qualified ref. You're a big Rangers fan, right? But I I know that people don't put themselves through what you need to do to be a ref. To go and you'll, you'll referee two games. I've seen you after refing two games on a Sunday. You can barely move. <laughs> um, people don't... Well, of course, you know, you just ran about for three hours. People don't do this. They don't sit down and day one say, I'm going to be a referee and I'm going to get to the top just to screw over Rangers. So my take on it is someone like John Beaton... And I don't know how much he can say, but someone like John Beaton, I, I don't think he's at it when it comes to Rangers. I think what it is is he's just not a very good referee. And then I think that instead of giving what he sees, it's now in his head that he's made so many mistakes for Rangers. I mean, the single worst referee performance I've ever seen, that infamous game against Hibs, that I think he overthinks it, which personally from talking to you, from talking to other guys, from talking to ex-referees at the top level, they tell me that's the worst thing you can do is when you start to, well, actually, you know, I know that he in the past has dived, so maybe, rather than just going, ah, it's a penalty, and giving it, or it's not a penalty. What's your take on that? I think the worst thing about John Beaton was, and I'm like you, everybody can make mistakes, and it was actually a difficult decision because it happened so quickly that the Alfredo's fall and everything else, when you first see it, you think there's not a lot to it. But when they slow it down and obviously you see the angles, he's got no help from his assistant who's looking right at it 
along the line should be able to hear. He's the, and, he's the guy that, yeah, I would blame. And quite happen, yes. that happens a lot. It's like, come yeah. on, you saw that. Yeah. And not only that, David, but you're, you're also in a... This is like amateur football refereeing because you've got no crowd there. So you can hear contact. You can see... You, you're you not swayed by anything, is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. obviously... If there had been, if that had been at Ibrox, there would have been a massive roar, which you're more inclined then to go with that. Yeah, there's, no the external, point was, there's no yeah. external stimulus to your decision. Yeah. So what makes the, the situation worse is John Beaton at half time refusing to to speak to Stephen Gerrard, who's simply asking, you know, can I speak to you? Can I speak to you? His first reaction to that simple request is to go and caution Gerrard, which Gerrard then turns and I think says, you know, oh, fuck off or whatever, which. He then puts him off for, and my argument to that is that, you know, you cautioning him is as much you saying fuck off to him as him physically saying it to you. All you have to say to him is, look, Stephen, um, not here. I didn't say it properly. Happy to speak to you about it inside or after the game. Yeah. And Gerard would say, look, okay, right, no problem. That's all you need to say. I think that the the problems become when you don't speak to people back. And you become robotic, as as when it as when people get frustrated, especially Gerard. And yeah. you've got to respect the fact that he's played the, you know, he's won the Champions League. He's played the game for the top, you know, twenty years at the top level. So if you speak and, and treat him like that, he's he's obviously then going to go. And he's the first one to say after the game that he he, he didn't handle it well and he holds his hand up to that, etc. But there needs to be a level where, and I understand what people are saying about John Beaton. I think John Beaton is too much in his head. I think that's a really good way to describe it. He has had, you know, he's he's had some polar opposite games where that Hibs game was atrocious, where you would think that he's been planted to the, the old firm victory where he basically ignored Alfredo possibly getting sent off four times at Ibrox. So there's, there's extremes where it goes from one level to the other, where I, I think half the battle is that he doesn't control games the way he should and, and stamp his authority on them the way that others do. Um, but he's, he's he's not the only one in Scotland. You know, Kevin Clancy is is, is just uh, just as bad. But there is also a level of of, of better referees coming through. The um, I think that you know Don Robertson. Ewan Anderson, Nick Walsh are, are better than John Beaton. Um, Ewan Walsh particularly coming through. So uh, I'm reluctant to, I don't want to overly slate John Beaton, but I would say that I've, I've seen John Beaton have great games and other times have games where I've wondered exactly what he's looking at. And I think that at that moment in time with Alfredo thing, you know, it's easier to speak to Stephen Gerrard than to, to the first point of call, just be to caution him and then provoke a reaction, because I don't think that helps anyone. I think that's a great point. There's very few things in life, actually, you know me, I'm incredibly laid-back guy. Rudeness, blanking someone, is very high on my list of sins. You know, just just I think that's what it is, David. You provoke, he's provoked Gerard there. Stephen Gerard will tell you, as he said, as I repeat myself, but... That action of immediately I, just I'd not even my speaking to, to him. Aye, of yeah, course. I, I'd lose it. If the ref had said to me, look, I made a decision, I might have got it wrong. If so, we can talk about it. But come on, let's get off the park here. Then it instantly, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it instantly diffuses yeah, absolutely. that tension. Yep. Whereas instead, if you act all high and mighty, you, you increase it. But anyway, it meant, of course, that the manager would have to serve a touchline ban. But 
it wouldn't kick in at the weekend and that was a good thing. Now, on the Saturday, Rangers couldn't win the title, although we could get to a position where Celtic could only match our... If we won the match, Celtic could only match our total. And they, that would be if they won all their matches. Rangers would have to lose all their matches. Celtic would have to win all their matches. Uh, in fact, you know, even Rangers didn't have to win a draw. Ian Celtic would obviously have done it as well. But we couldn't technically win it. However, there was obviously the feeling among supporters that this would be the day. And the reason for that, and you could tell this, was there were thousands of people outside Ibrox. There's a famous scene of the manager in his car driving up to the ground. And I think he speaks for all of us when he says, fucking hell. Um, at, at the sight of these thousands and thousands of Rangers supporters. And I went up to the ground. Now, the the fans had assembled about 11 o'clock. You get in if you're in the press, you, you, you're not allowed in. And I mean you're not allowed in. This is never deviated from until one hour before kickoff. It's part of the SFA rules. It's part of Scottish Government rules. So you assemble outside one of the gates. Um, and they're, you know, to get your temperature check and to get your... And by the way, I've never been more nervous than that day about my temperature. And I'm like, you know, please, please be... You know, please don't be 37 degrees because then, <laughs> you know, then they won't let me in. And uh, I was up, so I'm, I get there about, you know, 10 to 2 to, to walk around and wait. And the Obviously, the, the majority of people had dispersed by this by this stage. But there were still a lot of people around the ground and they were over at Bricks. And it became pretty clear to me that they were over at Bricks of Loved Ones. And that, you know, I'm choking up a wee bit about it now. That was just a, a, a reminder of how much it meant and why it means so much and what matters to people. Uh, so if I wasn't already hyper, that just kicked me over the edge. And in the ground, and even in an empty ground, you felt it because there were still people outside and fireworks going off and stuff. And and you, you really knew it and you felt it. And to me, Stephen, this is why this Rangers team, why I love them. Because we're all taught before the game, just, just go and get this done, Rangers. Don't. Don't mess about today. Just get it done. We just want it two up inside 20 minutes. Brilliant, brilliant goals, by the way, um, from Kent and Alfredo. Two up inside 20 minutes. Everybody relax, starts enjoying themselves. Half-time concert 2-0 up. And of course, because we're Rangers fans and the last 10 years, natural warriors, uh, we, everybody's saying, come on, just, just get another. Get another goal, Rangers. 90 seconds. Hadji gets the third, and that's it done. And then at the end came the scenes of celebration. The the players, they knew, we knew, there were people outside the ground, people dancing and singing. Everybody knew that it was done. And the reaction from the players was immense and intense, uh, and they're, they're celebrating. And, of course, we saw the scenes from the dressing room. We knew. We knew it was done. And the thing about this is somebody said to me that they, it would have been nice if the players had a moment, you know, where it was won. If they'd won it, you know, like 
a goal that did it or a game. To me, that weekend won't be taught because I thought that's it done. I went home and I was, you know, all the emotion, speaking to all my friends and family around the world and bears everywhere partying. And then the next day, not really bothered about Celtic game. They draw, we've won it. And it all kicked up again. I wouldn't have traded this for the world. No, it was a very um, special weekend. That was my, and, and this again will, will sound weird, you know, obviously, um, having started Four Lads of the Dream, you know, six months prior to, to Stephen Gerrard, I think November 2017 was when I kind of started this. So this was my first experience of, of Rangers, you know, being right on the the very, very edge of, of something monumental. And there was a special feeling on that Saturday on, on social media when you start to see the pictures of the fans gathering. You had texted me, actually, to tell me about the, the people watching the bricks and how emotional it was. And, you know, even at that point, we could we could feel ourselves. Um, and you're, you're fighting back the emotion a wee bit. And then you, you see the players afterwards celebrating. And then that night, David, you, you've had, like you, you, you've had, you know, texts and phone calls to, to each other and all your friends and whatever. But then the videos start coming through of the, the manager, you know, skating across the dressing room floor and the players, <laughs> the players you know, singing to I'm, I'm Feeling It and stuff like that, which became a wee bit of a, a kind of Rangers anthem as, it, as weeks then progressed after it. It was just a massive feeling. Everybody had waited for this moment. Um, and that... 24 hours afterwards you know the highs of the Saturday night and I was up at half four on the Sunday morning to go and do early shifts so for me it was a constant it, it was like a continuation I maybe had only three or four hours sleep because I couldn't put my phone down I wanted, to see, I wanted to see everything come through and then when I started again in the morning right up until their game kicking off and then five minutes into their game the, the, heli- the, the plane goes above and, you know, the message, can you see us now, 55 titles. And that just sparked social media off again, you know, and that 90 minutes. I, I actually, between working and, and being at home, I maybe missed about 20 minutes, but I watched that game and they had no intention of winning that game. And I, I, I said to the missus, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes into that game, I said, look, get our stuff ready. That's how confident I was because we had... We, I had been telling my boys, you know, obviously you know that I've got two boys and I'm, I'm trying to kind of bring them up and and entice them towards Rangers, but not force it because I believe that ah, they should. Force they them. should well, within reason, but they should yeah. make their own, their, own, their own, you know, kind of decisions. And I've been telling them that we're going to have this party and we're, we're going to, you know, celebrate and um, and this is, you know, this was it. So... When I came home that day, nil nil sixty minutes, um, that was us. So we we had started actually, you know, it would have been really bad if it didn't work. But we had actually started putting out the kind of um, we had not not fireworks, but we had the smoke bombs, the the mm. signs, we had flags. Um, my neighbours um, from next door, the big, big Rangers fan. He's he's like, I've waited ten years for this moment. So we had a barbecue on, we had the neighbours from, from round the road. Everybody was set on this final whistle. So when it actually went, you know, there was there was cheers. David, I went out into the hall, sat in the front step and cried. So I don't mind telling anybody that I was overcome. And it wasn't, it was tears of, of relief and joy. But there was people jumping about this living room and I made an exit mm-hmm. out and the wife came out and it was the first time 
we've been together for 10 years, so this was our first one together. And we were starting to say to each other, you know, I think we might be bad omens. <laughs> so, um, but I couldn't, I, I can't afford a second divorce, David. So no, no, but, I mean, that would be so, extreme. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, everybody has moments and everybody will tell you stories. But for me, it was a very, very emotional one. You know, I've seen videos of people, you know, going apeshit in their living rooms. And I I just made a wee beeline out and sat by myself to be joined by, by the missus. It was a very emotional moment and then once that passed the, the euphoria kicked in and we'd waited 10 years so it was just those are the feelings that you want again those are the feelings that that drive you on and, and those are the moments you know it is long overdue we are too big a club to to go through what we've been through but it was a magical 24 hours it was it was magical moments and i know that everybody listening to this will remember where they were and, and what they did and how they celebrated it. And I, I loved every single moment of it. It was a very, very, very emotional, very, very proud of the of the team. And I think that, you know, it was just everything that, that we had deserved up, up until, you know, that moment throughout the season. They, they'd been wonderful league-wise. Um, and, you know, it just, as you say, like you say, Players maybe didn't have their moment on the pitch, but that that's a, a weekend I wouldn't swap for anything. See, a moment is for history. A moment isn't for the there and now, and that's why I'm not bothered about it, because a moment, this idea of, oh, a goal, that's to that's to show in the future. Yeah. That's that's to say, oh, look, that was that was when that happened. At the time, it didn't matter. And that um that was what important. And and I was exactly the same as you, you know, the Saturday was so emotional, so wonderful. I, I think that a lot of people I've spoken to might understand this because I think that they felt this as well, what I felt, which was this strange elation mixed with almost kind of an out-of-body experience, almost being out with and sort of looking at everything, you know, looking at the season, looking at the 10 years, looking at the 40 years of being a supporter, looking at my family, you know, all of that, it was all floating around in my head. And then... As I say, this wonderful day that I thought was was just amazing, and then we wake up the next morning, and you know me, I don't I don't get up till half half twelve. So by that, people are by the time I'm ready. Well, I don't go to bed till about four. I work hard, you know. Um, so by the We're time we are opposites. Uh, so, you're a, yeah, you're a to- my, my wife actually she goes to bed about about ten and gets up at six in the morning. So, you know, we're we're like ships at passing the night. But because a lot of the because a lot of podcasting that I do is at night, obviously because, you know, people other people work full time. So by the time I do it and do all the editing and stuff, it's generally about kind of, you know, one o'clock. And you can't just go to bed after sitting at a screen for you know, you're still hyper. So I need to kind of calm down a bit and that that's why my hours are what they are. Um but I get up and everybody's like it's still now now half time. I'm like, okay. I'm not bothered, you know, that way, I'm not bothered, then the second half, I'm like, hmm, and then I think, I can't turn their game on, because if I do, they'll score, so I'm in the ludicrous situation of sitting on my phone in front of a TV, what's happening, people going, what's happening, what's happening, and they're saying exactly what you're saying, they're like, they don't want this today, you know, and I, and I do, you know, we're not saying Celtic through it, we're saying that consciously and unconsciously, things happen and they affect your performance, and they didn't, you know, they didn't want it. Um, and when it happened, the feelings just got relit. And and I've taken a lot of a lot of stuff 
in my life, right? I've, I've, you know, it's it was a big part of my life, unfortunately, and I've never felt the kind of highs that I felt that weekend. It was just fantastic. And when we, you know, meeting up with friends that day to celebrate uh, safely at Bottoms of Gardens before anybody phones Apollos, um, it was it was just as you say. And remember, I live in Co-Winning in Ayrshire. Um, the second the final whistle blew, it sounded like the Russian advance on the Eastern Front in World War Two. You know, it was just like the amount of fireworks that went up. I'm sure were visible from the moon uh, round here. It was it was wild. And then, you know, my two neighbours on either side they're up at the fence jumping because it was a warm day. We're at the back, and everybody's singing and dancing and shouting from the various gardens. And it was just amazing and a wonderful day, Stevie. Slavia Prague, if we are sober, do we beat them? Yes, we do. If Dundee United uh, lose on that Sunday, do we beat Slavia Prague? Because I mean, certainly there was a celebration among the Rangers players, let's be honest, but also the emotion, I think, did carry into those games. Yeah, I mean, I think it does. I think we'd performed quite well away from home set ourselves up quite nicely, came back from obviously being one down, um, a, a terrific save by Alan McGregor as well, which, you know, one of one of his finest saves, David, if you remember, diving to his left. Oh my God, yeah, through. that, unbelievable, I, th- I thought it was cool all the way. We were just, we were just flat when it came to the, the second, the second leg, missing a few players, obviously no Tav, etc. What went on that night was nothing short of disgraceful, um, in terms of, of Prague, I think there's unfinished business there. I know there's a possibility, David, that we could meet them again. I would say, um, and obviously I'm biased, but I would say that they are nowhere near the level that Benfica were. They're nowhere near the level that teams we, the, the really top teams that we played before. This is a team that, that we should have beat, and probably in circumstances where the players mentally were were on it, focused and, and switch your own. I would back Rangers to beat this side. But we didn't, we didn't perform. You know, we, we end up we, we lose our discipline a wee bit, which is the first time that, that happens. Um and and we're we're thoroughly beaten by by the better side on the night. But the the ending to that unfortunately leaves a sour taste in, in everybody's in everybody's um mouth. And if we look back on it and you know Perhaps Rangers should have, at that moment, walked off the park and things. But until you're in that situation, which is extremely difficult, the bravery of, of Glenn Kamara at that moment and, and subsequently thereafter to fight for justice for it and everything else is to be commended. But to face that moment you know, is something that nobody ever should face in, in life, never mind on a football field. But the togetherness of the team... I'll take from that as as being one, you know, the way they all galvanised and sure, listen, they, they might have been being for blood a wee bit and there might have been, you know, some afters and everything else, but I want a team that, that is together and that certainly that night underlines it for me, David, and that's just what we went through, you know, the entire season mm. with them, but a sore one, a sore way to end another fabulous run in Europe. And if you consider, David, that we lo- that was only one of three games we lost last season out of, I think, 56. And the, the club is, has been absolutely fantastic. I think, personally, we're better than them by another round. 
Um, if we had went out to Arsenal, say, in, in the next game or whatever, I, I would have been not happy, but you would have been comfortable in saying, well, look, Arsenal are a good side, we can accept that. When we went out to them, it left me feeling a wee bit like a good Rangers performance and a good strong performance were beating them. We didn't quite get it that night, which was a shame. Two targets left then for the end of the season. One is the Scottish Cup and one is to go undefeated. And it looks as though that uh, we're going to have to win the Scottish Cup by the, the fairly tricky way because we get Celtic drawn at home. Now, this is everything for them, this game. Um, this is the one that means two old firm games. Uh Quite quickly, it means three, even in that short period before the end of the season. When Angels come back from Prague, we get a 1-1 draw at Parkhead, notable for Alfie's first goal, um, whoever it was at the back post, against them. And that feeling we all had, I mean, I jumped for joy in that one. I, I don't know anybody who wasn't just so chuffed for him to finally you know, got that off his back. But we then have them in the cup at Ibrox. And for a game that their whole season was on. Rangers just handle them like a, a crying child, really. Just very comfortable 2-0 victory in which Rangers show their, their utter dominance over the Celtic side. Yeah, in terms of in in terms of finishing this episode, David, I think this is a, a brilliant moment to, to kind of stop it on this performance because Yet again, for some reason, David, despite the fact that Rangers have been so strong, so consistent, individually very good and, and everything, we faced a situation where we were getting told we weren't favourites in that game. Bizarre. And, um, you know, a Celtic team that had fluttered with form. Um, mm. And it's worth pointing out something that, that we didn't mention and, and I wanted to, to kind of pick up on. The, the times that we had met Celtic this year, we'd been told that this was their moment and things. Rangers, when they beat, beat them, in the league, Celtic would slump and not win, I think, one out of their next four games each time we played them. So, bizarrely, when we're then facing them in this cup game where we had proven to be the, the stronger side, I don't think they had scored against us, never mind anything else. We were being told that, you know, David Turnbull was the second coming and, you know, Lee Griffiths and everything, the usual kind of nonsense. And, and the truth was that, I was very, very comfortable in knowing that if Rangers turned up, we would win. And that's not an arrogance thing. It's just a belief that where the clubs are at the moment, where the players are, Rangers are peaking and, and going in the right direction, whereas they're going in completely opposite. There's too many of their players not on form and not interested. And I think that I think that is fair. But Rangers are a far stronger side. They're far well disciplined. They're, they're better managed. They're tactically more astute. And and we are better, and I and I think that's just it does. It's going to come across as being arrogant. It's not meant to be, but I just had complete confidence that if we turned up, we would beat them. And and to be honest, David, we treated that game. It, it wasn't like the the subsequent last home game where I think we went for them a wee bit more. But we we were very tactically astute again. We got the goals, got the job done, and then managed the game. They had a few chances in the second half ultimately they would end up with a penalty that, that I don't think was which subsequently is another great save from, from Al McGregor who had a, another wonderful game but you know that that ended up in, in this bizarre seven minute rant from Gordon Strachan about how you know 
Alan McGregor was man of the match and this Rangers team ultimately went very good compared to Celtic and everything else. And you don't expect, you know, Gordon Strachan to come out and say that, um, you know, Rangers are, are this and that. But it, it was like Martin O'Neill levels of wibble that I hadn't mm-hmm. heard in years. It was like, it was another glorious moment of what the, what the hell's wrong with them? Like, you know, there was a, and the point that I'm kind of waffling on myself about is trying to make that even in Rangers' position as champions and, and undefeated in the league and everything, the arrogance that, that we had was that, oh, well, they're still not very good. In their mind, in persona, we're, we're still the team, you know, of three years ago with Russell Martin at the back. And, and that's the, the lack of respect we get. And in reality, we, you know, we we were very comfortable that day. Stephen Davis scores an unbelievable goal, a, a fabulous second where Joe Aribo, you know, has as as one of his better old firm moments, and 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 played very well because remember at the time he was asked they were asking questions about you know can he perform in these games etc. So he steps up again. Incidentally, I think he's a fabulous player like you, and and we're very comfortable and and the frustration David in my voice and and what I'm trying to get at is it just pains me that I don't think we get the respect. Certainly then at that time, and I don't think even now we get the respect for how good we are compared with what they think we are. Yeah, I, I think that you've you've touched upon something that's very key there. And it's something, unfortunately, that we know from the last 10 years, which is when things are bad, you have to cling to anything to try and just get through the day. A couple of wins, you're right, they had, I think, four wins in the trot, and that was them. They were back. They were world beaters. They were going to romp to Scottish Cup. And of course, no, they, they, you know the underlying issues are still there, um, but you, but as a supporter, you you need to do that. What I think was beneficial to us, and it's something that I think that that is still going on with with them, is that as you say, there's this that they become addicted to the narrative of Rangers are skint, Rangers are going into admin, we've got loads of money, um, Rangers are rubbish, their players are all rubbish, our players are great. And they become addicted to that narrative. And rather than taking a step back and saying, actually, hang on a minute here, you know, we, you know, they seem to be doing okay. Um, let's focus on ourselves. We we have a poor squad. We've signed a manager who, with the best one in the world, I'm sure wasn't on the top of many people's lists before the process began. We don't have much money to spend the transfer market. But they can't do that because that's, they enjoy the, the period that they, they went through too much. And that's understandable. It isn't 2016. Brendan Rodgers is not there. You're not facing, as you say, you know, with all due respect, Joey Barton and, and Clint Hill and, and Philip Senderos. But they're living in that period. They're, they're clinging on to that. And that's fine um, because we're not. We're moving on. And that will come back to haunt them. The Cup, though, will provide on next week's episode a bit of a loan and Stephen and I will take a bit of time to look at the Cup record and to look at Stephen Gerrard's Cup record overall and to ask why it hasn't turned the same way that the league performances have. We'll also look at transfers in and out over his period, the type of players, the biggest successes, why certain players have worked, why certain players haven't. And then we'll do a a wrap-up of this season and we'll also do a wrap-up of the show. There will be one more episode after that, though, when we'll do a Q&A. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Stephen, as usual, a pleasure to talk to you, brother. 
Yeah, a really good episode, David. I'm glad that we spoke a wee bit more in depth about Stephen Gerrard at, at the start, um, because I think I think that the things that we discussed was really important, and, and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks again to everybody, as well, um, who has you know joined us on this journey, and the, the feedback's been great, and it's such a a brilliant series to do, and thoroughly enjoyed it, David. Thank you very much. Pleasure pleasure my friend we will be back next week folks until then i want you all to have a wonderful week and we'll return as we wrap up the conclusion to the show so until we speak again take care That was a Heart and Hand production. Sports Social Podcast Network.